The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. I'm going to start by reading John 10, 1-21. And just to catch you up, we've been... This is somewhere around uh, maybe 17th or 18th sermon through John. And as we've started most sermons, uh, John is just an incredible book because it starts by saying that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and then it says the Word became flesh, or one translation says the Word moved into our neighborhood. And so it's this beautiful account of the eternal God coming and living among us, moving into our neighborhood. So it doesn't matter. We can say we can't relate to God or God can't relate to us, but but he moved into our neighborhood so he could relate to us. And so it doesn't matter our upbringing or, or anything about us. God came so that we could understand him and relate to him and we could have life in him so it's an incredible account and this morning again uh, is just a wonderful account because our our world can be so confusing we're going to talk about it as we go through because there's so many options right Uh, especially in the wonderful country we live in I mean there are so many options Um, and how do you know what is real how do we know what is real? And, and we get asked that same question as there are so many religious options, there are so many spiritual options. How do we know what, what is truth? And so this morning, this is a wonderful passage that just gives us confidence and certainty again that to me, that this person, Jesus, that I've placed my faith in, he is the real thing. So I'd like to start by reading, if you want to follow along. Jesus is speaking and he says, Very truly I tell you Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. And so it's, it's this Middle Eastern, Near Eastern sheep imagery. Um, anybody here raise sheep? Yeah, you already raised your hand. Yeah. So one... One person. So this might be a little, little unfamiliar, but it's, so it's this picture of a sheepfold, a sheep pen, and a shepherd. But follow the imagery because it's, uh, it's really important. So G, verse 2, Jesus says, The one who enters by the gate, or the entrance, to the sheepfold is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own sheep, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. And Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, as I've been talking about the gate, And the shepherd, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. 
Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he's demon possessed. He's raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these aren't the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So let's pray, get started. Father, I thank you again for these words, your words, uh, living words. And Father, I pray that um, your Holy Spirit would just open our eyes afresh to see Jesus um, and see him for who he really is. He, uh, The one he claimed to be, the one who was promised to come, Father, and, and what we just sang about, King of kings and Lord of lords, Messiah, Savior. Father, open our eyes up just again to see Jesus, I pray this morning. Amen. So we're going to start this morning by reading a few verses in Isaiah 44. And just follow along with me because they're they're crazy verses um, that talk about kind of what's not familiar to us. It's talking about idolatry and uh, and somebody making an idol out of a out of a piece of wood and and just how crazy that is. So I want you to follow along with me because this in reality this, this is still happening all over the world. Um, so it says the blacksmith takes a tool he works it in the coals. He shapes an idol with hammers, you know, out of a piece of metal. He, he forms this idol. Uh, he forges it with the might of his arm. He gets hungry. He loses strength. He drinks no water and grows faint, meaning this guy's making this idol to bow down to. And, and this guy himself, who's making this idol, gets hungry and gets faint himself. The carpenter measures with a line, makes an outline with a marker, he roughs it out with chisels, marks it with compasses. He shapes it in human form, human form in all its glory that it may dwell in a shrine. Verse 14, he cuts down cedars, perhaps a cypress or an oak. 
He lets it grow among the trees of the forest where he plants a pine and the, and the rain makes it grow. So he, he takes this tree, whether it's a cedar or a pine. Verse 15, it, it says it's used as fuel for burning. So this log, some of it you use for burning, some of it he takes and warms himself with it. He kindles a fire, he bakes bread, but he also out of another piece of this log, takes a god. He, he fashions a god and he worships it. He makes an idol and bows down to it. Half of the wood he burns in the fire. Over it he prepares his meal. He roasts his meat and eats his fill. He warms himself and says, "Ah, I'm warm, I see the fire. But incredibly, he takes the other part of the, the log And he makes a god, his idol, and he bows down to it and worships. He prays to it and says, save me, you're my god. And I think every one of us here this morning would say, that's crazy. I mean, that that doesn't make sense at all. How an intelligent person could take a log and cut it in half, and half of it you chop up and you use it to warm yourself and and bake your bread. Well, you, you probably have an electric or gas oven, but um, the other part of the log, you take and you make it into an idol and you bow down to it as if it could do something, it could, it, that it could actually save you. That's crazy. And if you believe that, you're crazy. I mean, it, it just makes no sense at all that you could a piece of wood could be your God and save you. And yet, as crazy as that is, I've had people tell me that what I believe is just as crazy. Just as crazy. And and think about it. I mean, I believe that God, thinking from their standpoint, a God made everything, created the world that we live in. That's what I believe. It's it's crazy. And then I also believe, like it says in in John chapter 1, that that God became a human being. I mean, John 1.14 says that he came and lived among us, moved into our neighborhood, God in our neighbor. I, I believe that. It's kind of crazy. And But even more than that, I believe that that God, eternal God, creator, who became a human being, was put on a, a pole and hanging on that pole, call it a cross, he was put to death and dying on that piece of wood provided forgiveness for my sins and salvation. Is that crazy? I mean, think about it from somebody else's standpoint. That that can be kind of crazy. And not only did he die on that cross, but three days later, he came back to life. (laughs) And, And then he disappeared. He went to heaven and he's coming again. I believe all that. Is that crazy? Or is he really the Christ? That's the question. 
is that crazy? Or is he really the Christ? You know, every one of us have to make that decision. Is that crazy? Or is he really the Christ? Every one of us have to ask ourselves the question, what is the real thing? What is the real thing? Um, Well, Coke, Coca-Cola, think they figured it out 1971. Most of you weren't born then, so um, I was born, you know, just before then. (laughs) By a few decades. Anyway, uh, so it was in 1971 on a hilltop in Italy that Coca-Cola assembled 500 young people from all over the world to sing this song together. I'm going to read it. Although I'm tempted because it was a beautiful song. And as my wife, this is my wife, you know, as we were sitting here earlier, she leaned over and she says, I remember that song. I mean, it was a beautiful song. And this is how it went. I'd like to, okay, I'll just say. It says, I'd like to buy the world a home. Now listen to these words because this is, this is the real thing. I'd like to buy the world a home and furnish it with love. It's beautiful. Grow apple trees and honey bees and snow white turtle doves. It's warm in your heart, isn't it? This isn't funny. This is the real thing. I'd like to teach the world to sing. And then there'd be an echo, sing with me in perfect harmony perfect harmony. We're talking about, this is world peace we're talking here. I'd like to buy the world a Coke and keep it company. That's the real thing. I'd like to teach the world to sing what the world wants today is the beautiful echo in perfect harmony. I'd like to buy the world a Coke and keep it company. It's the real thing. And it goes on. Coke is what the world wants today. I'd like to buy the world a Coke. And this is obviously with apologies to Pepsi, who donated these cups to us. But uh, (laughs) um, (laughs) I I rebuked uh, Bianca earlier. (laughs) uh, Coke is what the world needs today. It's the real thing. So how can you tell what the real thing is? I mean, is it Coke or is it Pepsi? I don't know. But our world is so full of, let me just give you a few examples. I mean, if you've been to major cities of the world, um, like New York or Chicago, Manila, Beijing, I mean, Hong Kong, one of the things you'll experience, if you haven't already, when, you, when you're on the streets of a major city, is you're going to have somebody walk up to you, and they're going to want to sell you like a Rolex watch. But just a key, it's not a Rolex watch, okay? You can't get those for five bucks. Um, at least, anyway. Um, <laughs> those are called knockoffs. Okay. I, in fact, I just verified that through my Wikipedia authority. 
A knockoff <laughs> is something that's intended to look like something else, but it really isn't. It's, it's not the real thing, okay? Don't go showing somebody your Rolex watch if you got it in Beijing for five bucks, okay? Uh, I also, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but if, if you go to a fast food restaurant and you order a chicken sandwich. I know, I know. I'm not sure it's the real thing, okay? It's, um, but you know, on another level, there are so many options out there in terms of how you can have or how you're offered to have a relationship with God. So many options. Um, I I was a teaching assistant at the University of Washington in the School of World Religions, so I'm pretty familiar with uh, world religions and the myriad of options there are out there. Um, everything from from tribal religions to major religions to no religion. The question is, what's what's the real thing? How how do you know? How do I know? Why am I confident and convinced that Jesus is the real thing? And for me, it's kind of important because I don't want to. I don't want to find out that this has just been an emotional experience for me. You know, getting together with a bunch of nice people and singing a bunch of neat songs, and then find out that it was just a bunch of malarkey. <laughs> I want. I want to put my confidence in in the real thing. And that's what's wonderful as we, as we come to John chapter 10. But really the whole book of John, like I, like I shared earlier, at the end of the book of John, it says this whole book was written that we might know that Jesus is the promised Messiah, the Christ, and that by believing in him, we might have life in his name. So that's the whole point of why this book was written, so that we could know who the real thing is and that and that the hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament all pointed to one person, Jesus the Christ, and that he is the real thing. And and that's what we're going to see again in John ten in an incredible way. It's it's like an it's it's almost like an argument. Um, it, and it's around this imagery of, of a gate to a sheepfold and a shepherd which might be foreign to us, but, but to the people that Jesus was talking to, it was very, very familiar. Um, starting at the end, like Kristen's on top of it, she knew I was going there. This is kind of like the accusation that Jesus was expecting, where after the Jews heard what he said, it said many of them said, he's demon-possessed. And others said he's crazy. That was the accusation. And, and honestly, that's what a lot of people think about what I believe. My faith in Jesus is that's crazy. The verdict of others in verse 21 says, these words that we've heard, they're not from a man who's demon-possessed. They're not the words of a crazy man. And they're not the actions. Can a demon open the eyes of a... They're not the actions of a crazy man or a demon-possessed man. 
And so going back to the beginning, we're going to see that, in fact, it, it wasn't a crazy man, but it, it, he is, in fact, the Christ, and, and he's going to prove that to us in these verses. In verses 1 to 6, he's going to give us the evidence from the Old Testament that has to be fulfilled, that has to be satisfied in order for him to be the Christ. And then in verses 7 to 18, he's going he's gonna to show us that that's him. He, um, he fulfills that evidence. To start with, uh, have, I, I asked earlier, there's like two of you that have raised sheep. I want, want you to know that I don't speak out of ignorance. I have raised sheep for one night. Okay? So I'm an authority. Um, No, really, I am an authority because as we look at these, the evidence that has to be fulfilled, we're going to see that the key to caring for sheep is a good gate and a good shepherd. And I learned in one night how important those were because it was in one night that our sheep became history and or became dog food, if you want to put it in a gruesome way, um, because we didn't have a gate and we didn't have a shepherd. Um, <laughs> I'm just leaving it there. I'm not giving you the gory details. Um, a gate and a shepherd are important. Let, let's just read these verses again. Understanding that they would understand this imagery um, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. So the gate is the way that a shepherd goes in to care for a sheep. It's generally the way that most of us go into our houses, right? We go through the front door. Um, Actually, there's quite a few times we've gone in through the upstairs window because we forgot our key. But... If somebody besides my family did that, I would consider them a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. And the interesting thing is that often the gate was the shepherd himself, where the sheepfold was an enclosure, and then the gate was the opening, and the shepherd himself sat or slept in that opening so the only way to get to the sheep would have been through the shepherd the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out they know him when he's brought out all his own he goes on ahead of them his sheep follow him because they know his voice but they will never follow a stranger in fact they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. And so the, the importance that the promised Messiah can fulfill this evidence, this claim of the gate and the shepherd. The gate in Old Testament times was, was very important, not just to a sheepfold, but to a city. In Genesis twenty two seventeen. It says, your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. In Genesis 24, 6, he says, may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate them. That imagery being that the only way to, to get into and conquer a city was by getting through the gate. 
Um, and so the gate of the sheepfold being that same imagery. In Psalm 118, we see how important this is in a, a messianic psalm, meaning a psalm that was written to look forward to the Messiah. Listen to what it says as it uses this gate imagery. Psalm 118, 19. Open to me the gates of righteousness, meaning the path to becoming righteous. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter um, through them and give thanks to the Lord. Listen to this. It says, this is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it, meaning through the gate of the Lord. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation, meaning the gate of the Lord has become my salvation. Who is it? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. You see that? The gate of the Lord, the way to salvation is through this stone that the builders have rejected and has become the cornerstone. And it's, it's quoted often in the New Testament as a prophecy of Jesus of, or of the coming Messiah, the gate of the Lord, the, the way to salvation, the stone that the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And so if you've ever sung that chorus, this is the day that the Lord has made, it comes from Psalm 118 and it's a reference to the Messiah's death and resurrection providing our salvation, the gate of the Lord. So anyone claiming to be the Messiah must fulfill Psalm 118 as the gate of the Lord. Obviously, the other key factor mentioned here to caring for the sheep was the shepherd and that the sheep would know him and follow him and and hear his voice. Uh, Probably one of the most common verses in the Old Testament or in the whole Bible is Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd. Um, So God often in the Old Testament was referred to uh, in Gen- Genesis forty-eight fifteen, it says, God has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. And so God was considered the shepherd of his people. But even more so, the Messiah was to be looked forward to as the shepherd. Listen to these verses in Isaiah 40, verses 10 and 11. It's another prophecy looking forward to the Messiah. It says, Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. And as we're going to see in a second, the arm of the Lord was another imagery uh, referring to the Messiah, the promised Christ. His arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. And that's the prophecy looking forward to the Messiah that he would be like that shepherd, the good shepherd who would draw his people to himself. One more verse, Isaiah 53, 1 to 6. Um, 
incredible verses looking forward to the Messiah. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord, meaning the Messiah, been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement or the punishment that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Listen to this last verse. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the arm of the Lord, the Messiah, the iniquity, the sin of us all. And so in the same way that the Messiah had to fulfill Psalm 118 and the, as the gate of the Lord, Isaiah 40, Isaiah 53, the Messiah, anyone who claimed to be the Messiah, the Christ, had to be a fulfillment of the Good Shepherd in Isaiah 40 and 53. We come to verse 7, and it's incredible. Jesus very simply as he lays that foundation of what it means to be the gate of the Lord and the good shepherd. Very simply, look at verse 9. Jesus says, I am that gate. (laughs) I am that gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. I mean, he's just really clear. (laughs) That promised Christ in Psalm 118, that's me. I'm that gate. It's through me that salvation happens. Um, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. You know, I I don't know a lot of you here this morning, and I don't know what your hope is for salvation or your hope is for life, but... Jesus makes it really clear. I mean, of the hundreds of prophecies made in the Old Testament about who that Christ would be, Jesus says, that's me. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. There's not, there's not a, a multiple choice options here. This isn't all paths lead to God. Jesus makes it really clear. He's the gate. And he alone is the one through whom salvation happens and through and life and life to the full. And then verse 11, he says, I'm the good shepherd. That's me. When when in Psalm 23, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. That's me. Because in Psalm 8, what did he, in, in John 8, what did Jesus say? He said, I am. And they took up stones to stone him because he was claiming to be the Lord who is, our shepherd. Back to verse 11, please. 
And so he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And that's exactly what we saw in Isaiah 53, wasn't it? All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We've all turned to our own ways. It it's, reminds us of Romans 3.23, where it says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's, that's all of us. Every one of us. We're all in the same boat. But the incredible thing is the Lord who is our shepherd is Jesus. <laughs> He's the good shepherd. And when he came... The incredible news that what he came to do is as he went to the cross and he hung on the cross and as he died and said, it is finished, paid in full, it was the good shepherd, Jesus, who came to lay down his life for us, to pay for our sins, to set us free from their power and the power of death, and then to come back to life himself. We can go to the next I am the good shepherd, verse 14. I know my sheep, my sheep know me. Verse 17, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. It's that craziness of this eternal God, the creator, the good shepherd that we read about in Psalm 23, Isaiah 40, Isaiah 53, that that is Jesus who willingly came to lay down his life on the cross to pay for our sins, to take it up again. That's the glimpse of the resurrection. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. And, and so every one of us, we have to, you know, the, the, the accusations, he's demon-possessed, he's crazy. Is he? Or is his fulfillment of these prophecies in Psalm 118 and Isaiah 40 and Isaiah 53 and and hundreds of others evidence that he is the real thing. I think so. I, I've, I've, I've searched out a lot of options, and I have no doubt in my mind that Jesus is the real thing. He's not crazy. He's the Christ. And as crazy as it all seems, as I laid out at the beginning, that, that the that that he made everything and, and then he became a man and then he went to the cross and he rose from the dead and he's coming again as crazy as all that sounds. I'm confident that it's reality. It's not crazy, it's reality because it's backed up by his words, it's backed up by his actions, by his fulfillment of all those prophecies that he's the real thing. What about you? See the real thing? Um, you know, if, um, if Coca-Cola is the real thing, um, I mean, the real thing to bring harmony, you know, bring everybody together. I mean, just think, if it is or if it was, what should we do? We should, we should go out and buy cases of Coke, right? I mean... We should buy up Coke and give it to everybody so we can bring harmony to the world. Um, obviously, I don't think that because we serve Pepsi here. So. <laughs> um, <laughs> but think about it. If Jesus is the real thing, 
is if he is the fulfillment of all the prophecies, if he really opened the eyes of the blind, if he is the eternal creator God who came and gave his life for us and rose again and, and is coming back for us, and which is substantiated by more evidence than you could ever imagine. If he's the real thing, shouldn't we do the same thing? <laughs> shouldn't we want to? And we've got to talk about him because he's the answer to life. Life everlasting, life abundant. We should want to be talking about him to anybody and everybody that will listen because he's the real, real thing. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I, the story of Jesus that's recounted in this book of John is incredible but it's it's true it's reality i thank you that jesus is the real thing that is the answer to life abundant life father i just pray for every one of us here this morning that you would in a fresh way open our eyes to see jesus and if we're not convinced to 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 go back and read the, this account and see for ourselves who Jesus is, that he's not a fraud, he's not a liar, he's not crazy. He is the Lord of lords and he is the King of kings. Father, help us to find our life in him afresh this week, I pray. Amen.